RadioInfluence.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Live Bold and Boss Up. Uh, This week, we have Lester Morales with us today. And I'm really excited to talk to you, not only because the first time our conversation it was really interesting, and I wish we were recording then, but um, we're going to dive into how you were really at a major company, right, head of North America, had this amazing corporate job, and you left that security, right, that that kind of quote-unquote safe job to to found your, your own company, to be the CEO of your own company, and that to me is amazing of itself. You have a lot of other amazing um, journeys and adventures that you went through, and I'm excited to dive into it. But thank you for coming on the show and just sharing your story with us, Lester. No, thank you guys. I'm super pumped. I, I love doing this. If uh, if it could be motivating for anybody else to take uh, take the courage and jump in the pool, not knowing if there's any water in it, then that's 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 what we're doing, right? <laughs> comment the other day yes, I was looking yesterday. at you with the weirdest look it's so funny that you just said that because I was just telling Ashley a story where I was we were talking and I said something about jumping in a pool with no water in it and she looked at me like I was like crazy I'm like is that a saying I guess it is you said it I don't know I don't know if it's a saying or we just uh we just make it up so. <laughs> all right so Lester tell us your story why did you leave a successful corporate job for the risk of starting your own company yeah, you know, um, I call it Michael Jordan theory, um, and that sounds super arrogant, which I guess kind of can partly be true. But Michael Jordan wasn't the best basketball player ever lived because of his own stats. He was the best basketball player ever because he made everybody else around him that much better. So when you look at his uh, team members' stats, although he you know would drop sixty points, his team members always had better stats when he was on the court. And so for me, um, I was in a leadership role after having a, you know, super successful sales career myself. And I enjoyed the leadership part of it. I just didn't have enough control. Uh, And, you know, I'm not one that likes to color inside the lines. And in order to solve healthcare, I think you have to color outside the lines. And so um, I, I, and then, you know, the other thing is it, it was the last thing I had to prove to myself. I had been, uh, you know, successful in the field. I had been successful as a leader. I had never what I call make payroll. Uh, and so, uh, that was the last thing. So I would say that those two things, I, I wanted to make sure that I built a business that I could lead a team of people and have enough impact on them, uh, to make them better professionals, humans, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, than they would had they never met me. Uh, And one of those uh, byproducts is you get to sign their paycheck. And I thought that that was the the last thing on on my journey as a professional. Awesome. So did you jump right into Next Impact or did you have other things that you started beforehand? So you learned along the way and then you started Next Yeah, no, uh, I started, it was a couple fits and stops, let's, let's, let's call it. Um, I I did have business partners when I first left. um, And which, you know, again, didn't end well, uh, actually ended 
fairly terribly. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was a learning experience. I, um, I, I met, uh, I met a group of guys. I fell in love with the, the, the conversation, the strategy, the thought process. Uh, and within three months we were already doing business together. And within five months I had already signed to move to Puerto Rico and start a business down here. So it was, uh, uh, it would be the equivalent of going on a first date and asking her to marry you on the second <laughs> date. So, uh, but that's what I did uh, and learned, learned a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of that's um, some of my new mentality that, um, you know, it, it's you definitely have to have different skill sets than somebody if you're going to go into business together. You know, the people bring different things to the table. Uh, I have just learned that for me, I would rather have all the responsibility and all the blame uh, rather than a percentage of, of each, because it gets a little fuzzy, uh, you know, in the middle there. Yeah, it sure does. Especially when you're in corporate, right. You're, you're like, do I pass this off? Do I not? Yeah. That resonates with me for sure. And it was one of those things, you know, uh, especially trying to do something that hadn't been done. Right. So they had a little bit of a vision that was different than mine about what direction we wanted to go. And if, if you're going to wake up every day and do the grind, do the hustle and, and put all your blood, sweat and tears, but it's not necessarily in the direction in which you've got the passion for, then it kind of doesn't make sense. You're, you're putting it, you're, you're extending all of the energy out and not necessarily receiving it back. So, uh, but again, all learning curves, uh, it cost me a lot of money in error um, and, and whatnot, but I, I don't know that I would change it because it, it is part of the story uh, right now. So, right. You may not be where you are today if it wasn't for all those learning experiences. I, I absolutely wouldn't. I would not be sitting in Puerto Rico right now. I would not, you know, have the employees that I do. So it, 100%. So that's one of our favorite topics at Live Bold and Boss Up is um, all the failures or things that you've learned along the way to get to where you are today. And we were just talking about this earlier. What has been the biggest lesson that you learned? Um, you know, I would say, let's say this. I don't know if it's the biggest lesson, but I, I would say if I was talking to somebody thinking about starting a business, if I was talking to a, a, a group of students, I would say, and this is obviously a book and a very famous book, but you have to start with your why, uh, right? It, this even the easy days aren't easy. Like I, I, I think how I used to think uh, a hard day was in corporate America versus what a hard day is in entrepreneurial land. Uh, and I think, man, I didn't know what hard is. Uh, I'm not a parent, but I got to assume that parents say the same thing to guys like me that say, hey, you have no idea what a long day or a hard day is. Like, wait, till you have kids? I got to assume it's the same thing. So for me, um, Whenever there's a rough day, whenever it's a long day, whether, you know, like this morning I woke up at 3 a.m. to start working, I always, the first thing I say is remember the why and everything else kind of just goes away. So for, for me, I would say that's my number one thing I would tell somebody is you got to have and be super connected with the why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're, you're right on the whole working hard because I came from corporate HR. And, um, I thought I used to work hard and then 
you know, we start next path, we start live bold and boss up. And, and that's, I think that's all we do is work. In fact, like, I think my husband mentioned that the other day, but it doesn't, it almost doesn't feel like work sometimes because I really truly enjoy it. And you're right. You're getting that energy back. So you really have to do what you love and what you're passionate about. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So share with us if you can, because I feel like at any point in time, you've, you could have given up whenever it got difficult. Um, and I know you shared with us your story about how whenever you moved down to Puerto Rico, um, you basically started your whole life over. I know you have some family there. Um, and then I know your mom passed away. Like you went through a lot yep. and then you just kept going and you overcame it and came out even stronger. And then COVID hit like last right. year too. So yeah. like, what is, how, like, how did you get through all that? What is, is there one thing in particular or how did you do yeah, it? You know, I, I think it, it, the same, the same question. So, you know, to, to give your uh, listeners a, a little bit of background. So I, um, I was born in Puerto Rico. We moved to the States. I always say my parents were chasing the American dream, right? Um, although Puerto Rico is part of the United States, which a lot of people don't know, um, the, the reality of it is it's a different world. Uh, and back then in the, oh, I don't want to say how old I am, but in the that time, <laughs> they were they were, uh, they were running commercials uh, about, you know, kind of want to double your pay, take a one-way ticket on Eastern Airlines, that'll date me, um, you know, to, to Florida. And so that's, that's what we did. And so, you know, I was raised by two very hardworking parents, um, who, you know, neither of them had a, a full college degree. You know, my mom was a nurse, uh, for the VA and did so for 42 years. My dad worked, uh, at a, um, at a bank and, you know, when we first moved to the States, he drove the rent-a-car, um, you know, shuttle at the airport, worked odds and ends. And, you know, my parents always, I just remember always, my parents were always working. Uh, and it wasn't that they were entrepreneurs. They were trying to make sure that my brother and I had, you know, a better life than they. So, you know, that always has stuck in my head in regards to, my dad used to always say, you can only control how much you put in as effort. Um, and you know, I, I, I would say this right now, I'm not the smartest, uh, like it's pure intelligence. Like I didn't score, a, you know, 1600 on my SATs or anything, but I have always had that work ethic. And if, if somebody asked me, what's, what's the key to success, not what gets me motivated, but what's the key to my success, I would just outwork you. Uh, so when I was in sales, if you made a hundred calls, I made 200 and by default I won. Um, and so it was always like that. And when I was 15 years old, my dad was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So for people that have never heard that, um, that's cancer of your bone marrow. And so uh, my brother had just gone away to the Navy and it was kind of a weird thing as a Latin male, right? Your dad is like Optimus Prime, right. uh, you know, doesn't show emotion, super, you know, we had a very super factual relationship. I always knew he loved me, but it wasn't like a, I love you. Give me a hug kind of deal. It was like, did you do your homework? Are your chores done? Hey, let's go to baseball practice. Uh, you pitched like crap yesterday. You know, it was very, very male uh, relationship. But so when you see somebody going through that, uh, it was, it was a, a weird situation. And then um, many, many years of chemo, radiation, a bone marrow transplant. And eventually when I was in high school, my parents had to file bankruptcy 
And um, I didn't realize what that meant until now, like not until right now, but until I was an adult, like what that truly did mean, because I never, I never knew it. Like we, I, I never worried about where the meal was coming from. We didn't have to move out of our house. Um, you know, I still went to baseball camps and, and now looking back, I remember, or I, I now realize that my parents probably spent every ounce of dollar that they had either paying for medical bills or putting a shirt on my back. Um, so when I, when I think about the why, um, you know, I, I think, my God, my parents sacrificed so much. They left this Island, they moved to the States, they both worked, you know, many, many jobs to, to put clothes on our backs. And then my life lesson is kind of understanding what, um, how much healthcare costs and that, you know, although you might have insurance, most of the world is functionally uninsured because you can't afford a five, a six, a $10,000 every year out of pocket cost while still trying to pay your mortgage, go on vacation with your family, buy your kids the new Z Cavariches or Jordans, right? It just doesn't, there's not enough for the average person. And so I, uh, I really, I really think about that. So um, that, that's a big motivator for me. Um, and then, you know, Stephanie, you, you said it, you know, um, I, I got my degree in insurance in college, uh, but then that that's what's driven me my entire career. So this whole entrepreneurial thing was a kind of a byproduct of an aha moment, right? My mom um, was diagnosed with multiple, with uh, pancreatic cancer in 2014. Uh, I was at the top of the game. I was the head of sales for all of North America. I ran a $350 million sales organization inside of a you know $18 billion company. I was making tons of money and had a C in my title. I mean, life was good, but I realized at that very moment that I wasn't doing really anything to, to help. Like, right. To truly like, get to the root of it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I was doing what everybody else was doing. And then seeing my mom go through the same thing of, you know, luckily at that point, you know, she was in a different financial state. So we had the money to maybe pay the, the four or $5,000, but still the confusing aspect of where to go pancreatic cancer i mean if you google it is the worst google search ever right it's like if someone's gonna die you don't know what to do there's no level of advocacy there's nothing and and so for me those two things for me i was like you know what why why wouldn't i go try to do something because the worst case scenario and i was blessed and fortunate to be in that way i was 36 i was still single and I had some money in the bank. So the worst case scenario was I went back to the norm, but I would have never known if I wouldn't have tried. And, and, and you know, you hear enough uh, podcasts and, and read enough stories that people never regret what they tried. They regret the things that they don't try. And I, I didn't want to have that regret. Yeah. yeah, I love that story. Can you can you share with us a little bit on how you changed the industry for your company? Just like give us some some tidbits. Yeah. I don't want to bore your, uh, bore your audience. Uh, <laughs> the insurance world is, is not, is not overly sexy. That's for sure. But, um, you know, I'll say it like this. Um, healthcare is one of the only things that cost and quality 
have actually an inverse relationship. And so what I mean by that, if you think about your car, right? The nicer car you buy, the more expensive it is. Your house, the nicer house you buy, the more expensive it is. Shoot, the flat screen TV that's on the wall right there, same thing. In healthcare, it's not like that. It's usually the inverse. The better somebody is or, or a group of doctors or a hospital is, that means they do something a lot, right? They're very proficient at it. Well, when you're very proficient at something, you tend to do a lot of them. When you do a lot of them, you drive the cost down, right? It's simple economics. Um, but healthcare has never taught us to consume healthcare the way we consume everything else. And so the way I'll describe it is um, if you were in the uh, Target parking lot and you got an offender bender, what would you do? Call and be like, oops, sorry. <laughs> That's about it. Go my different way. Call your husband, call the cops, something, but, but eventually you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call your insurance company. Right. Yeah. So Same yeah. thing if a tree falls through your house, right? You don't call the first roofer. You don't go to the first body shop and get your car fixed. You call your insurance, but think about it. Think of the last time when your doc said you need to go get an MRI. Did you call anybody? No, you went exactly where the doc told you to go or where, where you knew to go. You didn't ask any questions. You definitely didn't ask how much it is, but in any given market. So let's play with Tampa since, since, you know, I'm a, I'm a Tampa boy. Um, the cost of an MRI in just from Kennedy to Gandhi would vary between 600 bucks to 3000, depending on where you went. And nobody asked any questions. So then when you think about that from an out-of-pocket expenditure, right, you are a person, you have a family, you pay your insurance premium, and you pay some portion of the bill. Well, if you're paying 20% of a bill, wouldn't you rather pay 20% of $600 versus 20% of $3,000? And so what we do is we build plans that put an advocate, a concierge of sorts, that has all of this information and you have access to call that advocate and say, I was told I need to go get an MRI. Where's the best place to go? And I'll give you an example because I always use my own knee surgery. Um, I was in Tampa. I blew out my ACL, my MCL, my PCL, my left knees. My kneecap was on the wrong side of my knee when this happened. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I have surgery, right? So where do I pick my surgeon? Well, I picked my surgeon based on what my buddies told me. Well, no offense to my buddies, but they're not docs, right? So I didn't ask anybody. I went to the somebody that somebody else told me was the right place, which is exactly what most people do when they access healthcare. Right. That doc says you're going to have your surgery at X hospital. And I'm not going to pick on any place. Uh, I'm just going to say X hospital in Tampa. Um, so I go to that surgeon. I go to that hospital. And I, at the time, had a $5,000 deductible. The insurance or the hospital bills $90,000 for my surgery. The insurance company gets a 50% discount off that. So now the insurance says, oh, it's $45,000. I pay five. The insurance picks up 40, uh, 40 okay? In that same scenario, what I know now, there is a place, and I'm going to say the place because it's an amazing place. South Tampa Orthopedic is a surgery center that, hence the name, only does orthopedic surgeries. 
Well, when you only do something, you become very good at doing it. That place will do the surgery for like $20,000. So in my plans that I structure for employers, if you called the advocate, the advocate's going to say, hey, you can go to the hospital that you wanted to go to, but if you're okay going over here, we're going to waive your $5,000. So the $20,000 at the place would have charged plus the $5,000 that now the insurance is picking up that I would have had to pay equals $25,000. I paid zero, but versus the 40,000 they played in the other scenario, everybody wins. Right. But what it takes is a different mindset. And that mindset is not what Americans have been taught when talking about healthcare, they have been just brainwashed, whatever the doc says, I'm going to do it. Right. And unfortunately, docs start with the right intentions, but they don't know what the cost of everything is. They don't know uh, that that hospital charges X and that hospital y charges Y. And, and in fact, most docs work for the hospital. So where do you think that doc is going to refer you where he or she gets paid to do? So we flip that on its head. So very advocate driven, very think about healthcare before. But if you do, you as the member, you as the employee and your family will save money. The clients are saving 20, 25%. And what most people don't understand is healthcare is people's second largest expense typically. So as an organizational line item, people only spend, organizations only spend more on salaries than they do on healthcare. And, uh, it's such a big deal, but it is changing the paradigm and asking people to think differently. So I always say we're salmon. We swim upstream all day long, every single day. We save people tons of money, but every day, 60, 70% of people say, nah, I'd rather pay more to do it the normal way. And it's like that. I mean, I, you know, I, I hired a new salesperson uh, not too long ago and he's like, boss, I don't get it. We're cheaper every single time. Why do people go somewhere else? I said, the same reason people are still struggling with fitness. Everybody knows the secret to fitness, eat right and exercise. But that's the hard thing to do. And picking up the phone, doing something different when accessing healthcare is the hard thing to do. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. So what do you do to educate people or get the word out there about your company and what you do? Yeah, I, you know, me personally, I, I think nobody just like you guys, right? Uh, nobody hears this conversation and says, yeah, that's stupid, right? Like nobody like it, it intuitively makes sense. If the cost is 600 here and 3,000 here or 40,000 here and 20,000 here, and it's actually equal to and better quality, intuitively, everybody gets that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think one of that is just to your point, Stephanie, is just getting the word out. So, um, you know, we typically do a, a lot of webinars and, and things of that nature. Uh, most organizations have an insurance advisor, uh, just like you guys might have a financial advisor to tell you what stocks to buy and things of that nature. Most organizations have an insurance advisor, a broker, an agent, whatever they might call them. Um, so we do tons of education to those folks. Um, and, uh, and then two employers as well. So, um, you know, I, I do, I don't know, I would say 10 to 15 big 
webinars, podcasts, something every single month in our nerdy insurance business. Uh, but things like this, I like to go on because everybody is a consumer of healthcare, right? right? So even though your audience might not necessarily be CEOs or CFOs or HR people of organizations, everybody is a consumer of healthcare. And so I think, you know, our long-term marketing vision is going to be top down and bottom up, right? At some point as consumers, we are going to have to demand more because the industry is constructed incorrectly. What, what you guys call insurance premium, the insurance company calls revenue. Right. And nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to lower their revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. So the reality of it is insurance is misaligned in the incentives and, and just like keeping help people healthy. Does a doctor, does a hospital get more money or less money when you're healthier or sicker? Right. I mean, unfortunately, the entire industry has been constructed incorrectly. Uh, and so I, I think the long term for us is continue to educate employers, educate their insurance advisors, but also start a somewhat grassroots, you know, digital, uh, online, social, hey, what about accessing healthcare? Look, if it looked like this, right? Which is, you mean I can drive four miles that way and save $5,000? Like, that's what normally happens. People are like, um, is this a joke? Right. The but it took them to have that conversation first, right. which for the first 60 days, people are kicking and screaming about, wait, I didn't have to do that against and when I had XYZ carrier, right? I've been doing this. The, I've been going to see Dr. Jones for, you know, 50 years. But blah, blah, blah. does that mean you were making the right decisions? Is a whole different story. Right. And right. so um, it's definitely not the easy route. Uh, so uh, it would be a hell of a lot easier to go back and do what I was doing uh, and just build it the same way the world wants you to build it. But having, again, filed bankruptcy as a child, seeing both of my parents struggle through medical reasons and knowing that there is a different way to do it, that like I could get my mom on a call with a healthcare nurse that could help her understand, you know what, there's a place in Arizona that has a pancreatic, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you know, who's not telling you that the oncologist who sits in Tampa, Florida, who doesn't know what's going on in Arizona. Right. Right. Healthcare is not just local. It's local. It's state. It's country. I mean, I fly people from one state to another state every day because it's a better facility. It's a cheaper cost. I mean, we're talking about saving hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars by putting somebody on a first class ticket with their dog, Fufu, and their wife. Uh, and a week later they return home and we just saved that organization hundreds of thousands of dollars while getting somebody a better surgeon at a better place. It's, wow. it's, it's a no brainer from a conceptual standpoint. It's just difficult. Right. I love that. I love that you like thought of that and you wanted to make a difference and you went for it and you're doing it. We're doing it every day, slowly, <laughs> but damn surely. That's for sure. What's, um, what's next? What's next? What do you see yourself doing now? Or where do you see this going? Um, we're definitely not done. Right. I I was telling somebody yesterday, I can feel that if I've been pushing this sled uphill for the last three to four years, 
I can feel I'm starting to get to a plateau where now momentum's starting to come out. Um, so, you know, for us, I've learned some, some entrepreneurial things I've learned. One, um, I am a huge fan of coaches. Uh, I'm now on my second, uh, you know, executive coaching program. Uh, and I have learned so much about running a business. I'm not a naturally good operator of a business. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good sales guy. I'm a pretty good marketer. I, I'm a big picture thinker. But in regards to like operating a business, quite honestly, I suck and I'm not very good at it. Um, and, and I don't like it. Uh, and so kind of learning some tricks of the trade, um, which you guys you know can appreciate, like focus on less. Right. I mean, we jam our day full of this, that or the other. And we don't sit and think. Everything that I do today is not graded equally. There are some things that will, you know, be, you know, bigger deals on what could happen tomorrow. Uh, and that's not always being on that next sales call, right? That might not be things that intuitively I gravitate to. I want to be on every sales call. I'm going to close that deal. But if I could push that button and hit that domino, that might lead to 10 sales in 90 days where this one, I keep knocking down one, only one thing at a time. Right. And so there's a little things I think of that, that I've learned, um, you know, in regards to running a business. So next I would say focus growth will come with focus. We know the recipe, we know what clients, um, you know, drive success. We know the mindset of a client. Um, this is very first mover. Uh, so when you think of the, the you know, the, the, the buying curve of laggers versus first movers, this is very first mover. Our, our, the people that like what we talk about are also the people that want to change healthcare. They're not the, I love the safety net of the big, you know, insurance carrier. I want to do this. And so um, it's, it's growth will come with focus. Uh, and so that's one thing that is a big, big deal for me. And I got to catch myself because I'm a shiny new toy, uh, you know, chaser. I like that. Oh, wait, that sounds cool. Let's go do this. I'm an idea guy. So it'll be that uh, big, big uh, emphasis on focus. And then, um, you know, lifting my team. Uh, I think I've become a way better leader in regards to making people also buy into the mission. Uh, so every week I end the week with telling a story about something that happened that week to one of our patients. Uh, and I make everybody understand that every department had something to do. Like I would have never met that without the marketing people. And then you salespeople did this and the implementation people did this and you paid the claim and blah. And I run it through so that people understand that this isn't, you know, my name might be on the door and I might be the, the, the figurehead, but they're really the people that drive the biggest amount of value. And, um, yeah, I posted something on LinkedIn yesterday about, uh, my HR guy, uh, had asked all the employees, what's one word you feel about working at next impact and the words that were used. I'm not kidding. I like teared up because like people give a shit and I'm sorry if I said that's word I shouldn't, but people give <laughs> a shit all about, right. uh, about what they do. And, um, that's awesome to me. You know, my HR guy worked 25 years at Walmart and left a very comfortable job to come 
to a startup because he he believes in the in the in the mission. And so um, they say that about millennials, right? As you start recruiting, and you guys are recruiters, so you know. I mean, the next the next and the younger want to work for a company that has purpose and you know does something. And and I think that that's cool. I don't know that I ever started that way, but that makes my heart happy that all of the hard work that we do that they also have that level of motivation that when the day gets hard, uh, when a client gets cranky, when an employee gets cranky, that at the end of the day, they know that we're doing something good and that we're doing something that that's, that's impactful, which next impact is that that's where the word comes from. I love it. I love that you'd share with them each week, what value they added and what yeah. they brought. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. We should start doing that. Yeah. That's good. I just love, um, you know, I, I, it, it will obviously be something different as we grow. Right. But I'm big on recording. I mean, I, I've done it for you guys, right. Recording videos. Yeah, I love uh, those. Yes. Yeah, I, I record videos anytime I can't talk to them or I, uh, I'm a big podcast consumer. So I listen to a podcast that I think that they would like, I drop a video on it. I put a link. I'm like, Hey, I just listened to this this morning. This is what this meant to me. Uh, and I think, again, people can work anywhere, uh, but if they come to work knowing that you're trying to impact them as a person and that we as an organization impact people, uh, they're going to work harder for you. So, you know, it, yeah, there's a little foo-foo intent, but even if I was putting my business hat on, you know, if I can get the most out of my employees, that's good for me. That's good for them. It's good for the world. And so... I really try to think uh, think about that. If I just keep driving towards impact, everything else is going to work itself out. I love that. Those are great lessons for anyone to, to learn and keep in mind whenever running a company or just even as an employee. Um, but thank you so much, Lester, for joining us today. That was fun. And I think you added so much value that I think a lot of people can get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to Next Path. And if you're listening, please subscribe, rate, review. And uh, until next time, live bold and boss up. This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. But I swear by your honey. I, I swear by it. I appreciate that so mm. much. Um, I get phone calls and people who come up to me on, at, at my markets who are repeat customers, and you know they they say very similar things. And I just, I'm just really happy that we're able to help. You know, mm. I mean, it's it's exactly what I want it to be. I want it to be the best product, and I want it to be able to help people without breaking the bank. And it works. I mean, like for me, for example, I was an idiot not on how I hurt my shoulder. It was probably about uh, about six years ago. I worked at a restaurant. We had 30 beers on tap and it was a Friday night. It was crazy busy. And one of our beers blew out. And we had this table of guys that were like they they needed the keg to be changed. So I'm running <laughs> around the kitchen asking, can anyone help? Because we had this huge walk in. So all the kegs were stacked yeah. and a keg is like 180 pounds. Yeah. And Everyone was stressed out and busy. They're like, we don't have time for that. So I was like, shit, I don't want to lose. Like, I don't want these guys to get up and leave because I was the bar manager. Yeah. So I went back there and I tried to lift the keg off Uh, of the one it was stacked. And it was like, I felt this pop in my shoulder and I was like, okay, that's not good. But it didn't hurt right away. About two days later, I woke up and I felt like I had zero motion in my shoulder. 
So clearly I tore my rotator cuff. Yeah. <laughs> and since then, I cannot lift my left arm above my head without excruciating pain. I struggle at the gym, everything. And sleeping was always an issue for me. I would go to sleep. I'd wake up three, four times a night, almost in tears because it hurts so bad. I could never get comfortable. And I wasn't sleeping good. As soon as I started taking your honey, just half a teaspoon every night, I'm able to sleep eight hours without interruption unless my dog, of course, wakes up, which he does quite often. <laughs> he's, he's the only reason I wake up in the middle of the night now. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.